Inductees into the South Dakota Hall of Fame come from all backgrounds of life, but one thing they all have in common is their daily pursuit of their dreams. In this podcast, you will hear stories of the legacy of these inductees and how these dream chasers have impacted South Dakota in meaningful ways. Here's your host, Miles Beacom. Today, I have an incredible individual to interview, and that is Bob Burns, who was inducted into the South Dakota Hall of Fame in 2016. Welcome, Bob. Well, it's a great pleasure to be here. I, I appreciate what the South Dakota Hall of Fame is doing to uh, create this file of those that have been inducted into the hall, and I look forward to our conversation. Well, Bob, thank you very much for taking the time today. One of the things that we're really trying to obtain from these interviews is really kind of not only the history of you, but some of the challenges that you went through in life as well. Because a lot of people think that you never, people in, in the hall never went through any challenges and things just happened. And, but they don't understand, a lot of people don't understand the hard work and the effort that went in as well. And to start with, could you start with just giving an overview of your life, um, being raised in the Flandreau area and some of those things? Well, as, as you just stated, I, I was raised in Flandreau and graduated from Flandreau High School. And I was given an opportunity uh, to attend South Dakota State University with the generosity of Stephen F. Briggs, the uh, founder of Briggs and Stratton Engines. And he, uh, his family, uh, hosted a uh, scholarship uh, for several students at South Dakota State University. And I took advantage of that to uh, attend undergraduate uh, work there. And I went through ROTC uh, while I was at South Dakota State University, but received a deferment for active duty to attend graduate school. and That was made possible as a result of a federal National Defense Education Act fellowship, which uh, funded my uh, graduate studies uh, at the University of Missouri. Completion of uh, my graduate coursework, uh, I went active duty, uh, um, served in Vietnam for a year. And while in Vietnam, I received uh, a letter from my former mentor at South Dakota State University, uh, the late Professor J.P. Hendrickson, uh, asking if I'd be interested in a one-year appointment at SDSU while another faculty member was on leave. And I eagerly accepted that uh, great opportunity. And um, that one year uh, turned into 38 years uh, at South Dakota State University. I spent my entire professional life uh, there at the university and retired in 2008 and have uh, attempted to maintain uh, somewhat of an active life uh, with volunteer work and uh, and uh, following the life of our grand the lives of our grandchildren and some travel and that brings us up to date I well, well great um, and thank you for the overview I'd like to go back to the uh, Flandreau days, and when you graduated, uh, I had read that you really wanted to go to USD. Well, that's right. I'd had two brothers that uh, graduated from the University of South Dakota in the B School, and I thought I was probably destined to be an accountant, uh, and I was offered a small scholarship by USD to uh, attend. but. In the middle of the summer between my high school senior year and the start of college, I received a, a letter from South Dakota State University informing me that as a first alternate to a Briggs scholarship, uh, I had been awarded the scholarship because a 
original uh, offer had been declined. Uh, so I saw the door of opportunity there, and particularly in terms of being able to finance my undergraduate education and took advantage of that opportunity, but also had to have quite a different change of mind with regard to a career because accounting uh, was not a major at, at, at South Coast State University. So I, I enrolled uh, really pretty much as an undecided uh, uh, student. And by the end of my freshman year, I had uh, uh, completed a course in American government, uh, again under the uh, instructorship of uh, Professor Hendrickson, and that really drew me into political science as a major. And um, So again, I started college without it that in mind, but uh, after one year, uh, made up my mind in terms of a major. Yeah. It's amazing, Bob, where a lot of people think that successful people had their life all planned out, and you had five siblings, so a total of six yeah. kids, and it really came down to the money of where you went, even though you wanted to go to USD and you thought that's where you wanted to go, versus a full ride at South Dakota State and with the Briggs Scholarship. Um, so that it was a change of mind. And did it take long for you to make that decision, or was it, no, this is just too good to pass up? Yeah, in light of the economic uh, situation, uh, uh, no, it did not take long uh, to have a change of mind. Uh, I, I did much the same uh, toward the end of my undergraduate uh, studies at SDSU. Uh, I had received a, uh, a a uh, scholarship offer uh, from the Maxwell Graduate School at uh, Syracuse University in New York uh, for study leading to a master's in public administration. And I was looking forward to that when I received notice from the University of Missouri that uh, I was being offered a, a three-year uh, National Defense Fellowship for study toward a doctorate in political science. And again, it didn't take long for me to, to change my mind. I just saw a better opportunity with uh, funding all the way through to a doctorate versus a master's degree. So uh, it was a very similar situation. And yeah, that was two major changes in from, from what you thought you were going to be doing. Uh, so uh, congratulations on both of those. You mentioned earlier, too, that you uh, went in the ROTC. Why did you do that? Well, for a couple of reasons. Uh, my brother, uh, Chuck, uh, had gone through USD and was in ROTC, and I always tried to uh, uh, follow in his footsteps the best best I could. It wasn't always possible, but I thought uh, um, I would I would follow that, that same path. Um, plus, uh, I felt at that time uh, a uh, responsibility uh, toward our nation. Uh, um, really viewed military service as, as a part of that obligation. And, um, and I don't regret uh, that decision. When I entered ROTC, which was mandatory the first two years at that time in virtually all the land-grant colleges across the nation, uh, so I had two years uh, without uh, any choice and then the decision to enter advanced ROTC was a voluntary decision. But when I made that decision, uh, uh, engagement in Vietnam uh, was not uh, on the uh, front burner, uh, to, uh, but it became on the front burner by the time I went active. And 
Um, I'm not sure if Vietnam had been raging when I made the decision to go advance, I would have made this the same decision, but I, I want to believe I would have made the same decision. Yeah. Well, thank you for your service. And then you did go to Vietnam. Yes. And can you share a little bit about that experience? Well, uh, during the Vietnam War period, uh, uh, promotion within the company grade officers was uh, fairly quick. In fact, I'd been promoted to first lieutenant before I even went active duty. And then after just one year, uh, while on active duty, I was promoted to captain. So when I went to uh, Vietnam, I was a, an Army military intelligence captain. And as a result of my, my rank, I received uh, what I consider to be a, a pretty favorable duty assignment. I was sent to the Mekong Delta under what was called the Military Assistance Command Vietnam, which was all the advisors in Vietnam rather than American uh, tactical uh, units. And so I was a part of an advisory team uh, down in Canto City of about 250 uh, U.S. servicemen. Um, I served as the senior intelligence advisor for Fong Zen province in, in that capacity. And while in Vietnam, you also received a couple of awards. Could you share I did, those with uh, us? I received a, a bronze star for meritorious service. And also, I did a lot of uh, uh, flying, the jargon of the time, flying backseat uh, with uh, light fire teams, which would be a Huey command and control helicopter, and then a couple um, attack helicopters along, so a light fire team. And I would fly back seat and, uh, with a Vietnamese counterpart, and I would talk to the pilots and either give a green light or a red light on whether we could strike a target or not. And, and as a result of several missions like that, I received the Air Medal uh, with Oak Lake cover. Oak Leaf uh, Cluster, which was, was about 150 missions. And well, congratulations, and again, thank you for your service. I don't think there's a lot of people that realize uh, your service in Vietnam as well, which is important. And again, as you said, when you joined the ROTC, uh, that wasn't on the radar at the time. No, Vietnam no, wasn't. It was but not. Uh, again, thank you for, for that. And then you had the opportunity leaving Vietnam, again, you, you mentioned a one-year stint in, at SDSU. And tell us about that. What were you going to do in that one year, and how did it develop into how many years, 38? 38. Well, I initially uh, was invited because one of the faculty members was on sabbatical. And toward the end of that year, another faculty member requested sabbatical, so I was given an opportunity to stay a, a second year. And then that same faculty member asked for a, a leave in order to complete his doctorate work. And so I was given the third year. And during that time, I actually completed my dissertation and was awarded the doctorate. And the dissertation, by the way, uh, was the politics of executive branch reorganization in South Dakota, that widespread reorganization of the executive branch that occurred in the Knipe administration. Uh, which has gotten to be a good uh, reference source uh, uh, for Master of Public Administration students at USD. I know they, they refer to it uh, from time to time to get a little bit of the history of how our executive branch came to be organized the way, the way it is in South Dakota. But anyway, um, 
after my, my third year there, uh, Professor Hendrickson uh, approached uh, then President uh, Briggs and asked if a, a new position couldn't be authorized for the political science department so that I could stay on. And President Briggs authorized that and I uh, moved from being a, uh, an instructor on a term contract to an assistant professor tenured because at that time if you were offered a fourth contract you had to be tenured so that those are not the rules today I I came into my professional life under quite a different set of rules and the, the rules that would apply today I tell you, that's pretty impressive though coming for one year and staying for a career of 38 and because of your strength and your skill uh, they developed a new position as well. So you have to be pretty proud of that and well, what you were able to help accomplish. I credit that to uh, Professor Henriksen and the great uh, relationship he had uh, with uh, President Hilton Briggs at that time. Uh, he felt comfortable in asking uh, for uh, that authority for the new position and uh, fortunately for me, uh, President Briggs uh, uh, responded favorably to the request. And, Thankfully, they did that and went through those. Uh, in the summer, it also stated that you had the opportunity to work with three different governors. Can you tell us about that? Well, again, I, I worked uh, with uh, Governor Knipe uh, in the uh, executive branch reorganization. And if to, I was a member of the staff serving uh, the governor's uh, uh, reorganization commission, which uh, uh, Federal District Court uh, uh, Judge Larry Pearsall uh, chaired that that commission, uh, and it was made up. It was a bi, uh, bipartisan commission made up of lawmakers and and other um, well-known figures in in South Dakota. And they they worked hard, and and I served as one of the staff persons for them. Then I worked during the brief uh, uh, governorship of Harvey Woolman, and then I, I had several different assignments. Uh, uh, in the Janklow administrations, both his, his first uh, eight-year run and, and his second eight-year run uh, at various uh, um, assignments uh, under his leadership. Yeah, what, a, what an experience and for you to help change government here in South Dakota as well. Well, actually that executive branch reorganization is probably one of the most significant uh, uh, acts of a governor in the history of the state. It really brought uh, South Dakota uh, governance into the modern age. And at that same time in the early 70s, uh, the uh, South Dakota Constitutional Revision Commission was acting. Uh, and that uh, commission advanced uh, uh, major constitutional reform proposals, uh, reforming uh, the uh, executive branch, reforming the legislative branch, uh, providing uh, for the creation of the state unified judiciary, uh, providing for a redoing of the local government article uh, of the state of South Dakota. So that, that period there in early 70s brought about so many changes to our state government and, and as I said, really brought it into the modern era. Bob, how difficult was that? Because change is always difficult. and. Government seems like sometimes it's very difficult to get change done in government, period. And you went through a number of changes that needed to occur in South Dakota. 
how difficult, and, and did you have the support of the governor at the time and the legislature? Can you share some stories with well, us? Well, again, I, I was in a mere staff role, um, not in a major policy-making role uh, in any sense. Um, but the executive branch reorganization was, was really the initiative of Governor Knipe. Uh, there wasn't any um, loud uh, demand of the people uh, to do something about the cumbersome nature of the executive branch, which was really created or uh, existed as a score, literally scores of these little fiefdoms uh, where you had independent boards and commissions that had multi-members and served fixed term, or excuse me, staggered terms, had their own budgets and were basically beyond the authority of any uh, governor and, and in many cases beyond the authority of the legislature because they didn't rely upon annual appropriations. Instead, they had fees that were assessed to, to the constituents that were being served by that particular board or commission. Uh, so it, it was needed, and Governor Knipe was able to achieve that. And, and then with respect to the, uh, the changes brought about by the uh, uh, Constitution Revision Commission, we did dovetail with them on executive branch reorganization. We were able to get into the executive article a uh, provision that required the consolidation of all of the units in the executive branch to no more than 20. Uh, by a certain deadline. Uh, so with the approval of the executive article, there was now a mandate to accept reorganization. And since Governor Knipe had the only proposal for reorganization, then that's the one the lawmakers accepted. Was there a lot of argument with that to be accepted? Or, well, again, change is difficult. Well, yes, in executive, comprehensive executive branch reorganization, um, impacts a tremendous number of established political relationships uh, between certain boards and certain legislative committees and certain um, benefactors of, of those programs. So, and the, the key lawmakers and the key executive officials and the key uh, parties being served ordinarily like to preserve that status quo. Uh, don't like to see the mm -hmm. apple cart upturned. So yes, there was resistance from a large number of corners. But on the other hand, uh, with the approval of the executive article and now a, a constitutional mandate to reorganize, uh, that uh, widespread opposition was pretty much uh, neutralized or defeated. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, that would, that would be challenging. And the, and that, and that was a strategy that came out of the staff that I was a part of. Um, we, we felt that we had to somehow get some kind of uh, a mandate for this to happen and not rely just upon the political uh, uh, skills of the governor to sell it. So. Well, well, thank you for that and, and uh, continuing to drive, helping to drive the change as well. Uh, as you said, it helped us move into the modern era. Mm -hmm. Uh, for government. Uh, Bob, you're a pretty humble person, but you received just about every award there's possible at SDSU, didn't you, during your well, career? I, my instruction was, was consistently well received by the students. Um, 
and as a result, uh, students were supportive of my recognition uh, throughout my career. And, and then my peers uh, recognized me and uh, my uh, administrative superiors. Uh, but the greatest uh, reward is what I continue to receive, and that's uh, compliments from pa past students uh, thanking me for my, my instruction. And um, again, that's, that's the greatest reward. And, and as I said, I, I continue to receive uh, that off and on when I, when I meet by chance a, a former student. And yeah, isn't, isn't that nice being able to recognize and see how successful the students are? And just think of the number of students that you've impacted over those 38 years as well. Yes, I never did uh, get a head count uh, on it. And they went various ways. Uh, you know, among other things, I, I was a pre-law advisor and I taught constitutional law and civil rights and liberties. And also I taught some school law off and on and I, and I taught some administrative law. Um, so I had a large number of students that uh, were on a pre-law path and many, many of those students have since completed law school and have very, very uh, good practices and many of them right here in the state of South Dakota. And, and some of them, uh, uh, well, uh, Chief Justice David Gilbertson recently retired uh, as one of my early students, and Mark Salter currently sits on the South Dakota Supreme Court as, as one of my students, and some of the students uh, have served in circuit court capacities, and others have been very, very successful in private practices. But, but I've, students that have gone other career paths as well, um, uh, some have, many have actually gone into private business and have done quite well. And some have gone into my career of education, and uh, others uh, have gone into the military. Uh, some have gone into federal uh, and state government work. So, quite a variety of career paths that they've followed. Yeah, it's just very impressive in the names that you shared. Uh, how impressive those individuals are, and now the impact that they're having on this state as well. Uh, and you had something to do with that. So that's, that's very impressive, Bob. On one, uh, uh, oh, our, we had a bulletin board in the department area. And, uh, there was a, a Sioux Falls Argus Leader front page uh, on a certain day that somehow captured uh, Chief Justice Gilbertson, uh, U.S. Senator Tom Daschle, and Governor Mike Rounds. Well, they were all graduates of the political science program, so uh, we had a lot of arrows pointing to that that page in the in the Argus Leader, and, and, a, but, um, and a great marketing strategy for future <laughs> students coming. But, um, Tom Dashell used to give me credit uh, as his undergraduate instructor. Well, I never was. He he graduated in 1969, and I joined the faculty in 1970, and I reminded him of that, that I was never his, his professor. And he just said, well, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> Bob, what do you think was your biggest challenge? Uh, and that could be growing up, uh, Vietnam, it could be uh, your 38 years at SDSU. What, what do you see as your biggest challenge and how'd you overcome it? Well, in the early age, uh, you know, the financial obstacle. But again, I had uh, a door of opportunity open up and, and I was able to take advantage of that and overcome the, the financial uh, 
uh, challenge of being able to advance uh, my education. Um, later in my career, I had some career disappointments where uh, I sought uh, certain positions that um, I did not achieve and uh, just frankly had to regroup and refocus and, uh, and look for other opportunities, which, which I was fortunate came along and I was able to feel very satisfied uh, professionally. And, uh, but outside of all of that, uh, as, as any husband and father knows, just uh, trying, to, uh, trying to be a good father, try, trying to raise children and try to uh, support uh, and be supportive uh, of the family and, and uh, try to uh, be a, a good husband to my wife Donna. And, you know, those are challenges everyone, particularly when you're uh, engaged in a, a career as well that can be demanding and, mm -hmm. and try to uh, uh, be good at, at, at both of those challenges, professionally and family-oriented. Yeah, absolutely. Something that you mentioned I need to just go back on is there were opportunities that you didn't receive when you, when you applied for them. People won't believe that. Uh, <laughs> but what's, what's I think amazing is uh, sometimes you see people not receive those opportunities. They throw the towel in and they just quit. And, and here you look for other opportunities then and continued and stayed, stayed the path versus uh, just throwing in the towel, which is great for you, your success. It's great for SDSU. It's great for South Dakota. Uh, but sometimes you're going to be dealt something that isn't the way you had thought it would work out. Uh, but you were able to overcome that challenge as well, and I think that's important for people to understand. Well, that's, that's very true. Um, and upon reflection, and, and reflection, of course, is, is always uh, better after the fact, isn't it? Um, I think the fact that uh, some of what I uh, sought uh, was not achieved uh, worked out to the best of me. Um, yeah. Among other things, it, it kept me in the classroom. Well, uh, I, think I, I was in the classroom all the way to the end, even though I, I also had an important administrative responsibility as the first, uh, I was invited by uh, uh, President Peggy Miller at the time uh, to assume a leadership position in the creation of an honors college at South Coast State University. And so I was able to get in on the ground floor and get the foundation for that uh, laid, uh, and at the same time uh, uh, continue my role in political science and continue as a classroom instructor. And that, that balance I found to be very, very satisfying. and. Um, Really, at, at the end of my career, I, I reflected back and, and knew that that was best. That was the best course for me. Yeah, it's amazing when you look back and, and you reflect on those things, and some of those discouragements uh, uh, really turned out to be assets because it makes you refocus, and uh, sometimes you try to prove that you were the person that should have been there, but other opportunities will open up down the road for you. Uh, yeah, so. very, very true. Um, Mom, what do you think is your biggest accomplishment, success story? Well, professionally, I, uh, just in what my graduates, I shouldn't say my graduates, our graduates uh, have been able to do uh, with their lives. Uh, I know with the law, uh, those students that uh, went on to law school, I, I think I did lay a nice foundation for them uh, 
I used actually a law school technique in my instruction, uh, the Socratic method in the classroom and uh, case, uh, case exams um, that they had to write in preparation for law school. And, uh, but beyond those students that went into law, it, I think I, I gave them a good academic preparation for their career paths. And um, I, I would say that that's the greatest accomplishment. Yeah, you have to have a lot of pride of watching your students, uh, some of the challenges they take on in life and the impact that they've had on, uh, on our great state as well, and just seeing the success of those students and continue to come back and uh, thank you for everything that you did for them as well. So uh, that has to be really warming. You know, I'd, I'd like to add that, uh, you know, what, what I was able to do professionally in life uh, all comes back to the availability of public education. I'm, I'm definitely a, a total product of, of public education. My K-12 education in the Flandreau uh, school system, my undergraduate education at a land-grant university, my graduate study at another land-grant university, the University of Missouri, um, my graduate studies basically paid for by the federal government through the uh, what used to be the National Security uh, um, Defense Fellowship, uh, which is no longer available. Um, I mentioned, you know, there was a financial challenge to undergraduate studies, but even in the absence of a scholarship, at that time, higher education was more affordable, more accessible even to low-income students than it would be today, comparably, mm -hmm. because the cost has increased so dramatically, whereas the ability to pay of low-income students has not kept kept up with that. Uh, so I, I'm, I really hope that you know, we someday may, may reach a point where lower-income students would, would have a, a greater affordability uh, to, to enter higher education, public higher education, than, than is really true today. One of the most disturbing uh, statistics that we look at in our nation today is the, the probability of uh, a child from an upper middle income or high income family being able to go on to higher education versus the probability of a family or a student from a lower income student. And, and the gap is just uh, shocking. Yes. Uh, and, and again, even though affordability was a challenge to me, I don't think it was as great of a challenge in my time in the early 60s that it would be uh, to a student here in the, in the 2020s. Yeah. One nice thing has been the needs based or the Freedom Scholarship that we just started up and that, yes, will, help, that will help a lot. Uh, we're just under $200 million in that endowment for to be able to help those individuals with that. Is, but that's just a... Uh, small piece of what's needed out there, and I agree with you. Bob, looking back over your career, and you've had to make a number of changes and uh, adjustments, but when you were 18 years old at Flandreau High School, did you ever in your wildest dreams think that you'd be as successful as you have been and have the impact on governors, on government, on students as you have here in South Dakota? 
Well, of course, I, I did not have that career path in mind at all at the time. But I will say that uh, I was a confident 18-year-old um, and uh, an ambitious 18-year-old. Uh, I knew I, I wanted to uh, move, move forward in life. Uh, um, I had good role models in my older siblings. Uh, they had moved forward, and, and uh, so I, I was dedicated to that, motivated, and, and pretty confident. I had uh, been accepted as a leader uh, in high school uh, and had confidence in having some leadership abilities and really saw that that could serve me well. But in terms of career path, no, I clearly did not have the, the career path that I decided on uh, in mind uh, uh, when I was an 18-year-old. And I just think that's important to share because a lot of 18-year-olds think they need to have their life planned out, and none of us did back then. And we just kind of went with it and looked at the opportunities that were out there and, and uh, made sure we were successful with those opportunities. Bob, is there anything you'd like to share with the uh, group of South Dakotans uh, that we haven't talked about? Well, uh, as an inductee into the South Dakota Hall of Fame, uh, I take great pride uh, in being uh, being inducted. Um, and it, it's the citizenry of the state of South Dakota and those citizens that uh, do accept responsibilities and, and assume leadership roles and, and uh, invest their uh, fortunes and their energies uh, in an inventive and enterprising and serving manner. Uh, that contributes to the continued uh, strength of, of our great state. And I invite uh, the young people of our state to, to consider uh, making their home and their careers and raising their families here in the state of South Dakota. Yeah. Well, thank you and a great way to close. And Bob, I just want to again say thank you for your time today. Congratulations on being a 2016 inductee into the South Dakota Hall of Fame. And thank you for all that you've done for South Dakota. Thank you. Well, thank you, Miles. It's been a delightful conversation with you. Thank you for listening. To learn more about the South Dakota Hall of Fame and these dream chasers, visit our website at www.sdexcellence.org and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.